Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. Jeeper is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015 to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about Jeeper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Hello and welcome everybody to today's podcast. We're excited to talk today about recently approved new treatments for eczema. Late last year and early this one, there have been four new treatments approved by the Food and Drug Administration, one after another, with several more waiting in the wings. And it's such a relief to see so many new options coming for patients after such a long period of drought, like really decades of very little progress until now. And we can confidently say that the drought is over now. On our show today, we have two guests who are experts on this topic. Our first guest is someone I've known for several years, and I'm excited to have her on our show, Dr. Amy Paller. She is chair of the Department of Dermatology and professor of pediatrics at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Paller has directed the Pediatric Dermatology Clinical Trials Unit at Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago for the past 20 years and has been the lead investigator on several landmark trials, including ones that have led to new treatments for children with eczema. Our second guest is also someone we've partnered with before on studies and who is doing exciting work in Canada, Dr. Aaron Drucker. He's a dermatologist at Women's College Hospital in Toronto and an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. He specializes in caring for patients with severe eczema, and his research focuses on understanding skin diseases at the population level, as well as helping patients and clinicians make informed treatment decisions. Dr. Drucker was part of the team that developed the site eczematherapies.com, which is a new resource for patients and doctors that synthesizes clinical trial data into a treatment comparison format. So Dr. Paller and Dr. Drucker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And thanks for having us. So first of all, let's talk about some of these treatments. I think we'll kind of go up the ladder and talk about creams first. We had a new cream recently approved by the Food and Drug Administration. And I'll just note that although we're going to be talking about treatments that were recently approved by the FDA in the United States, the approvals may be slightly different in other countries, but they tend to come on similar timelines. So we're excited to see this new topical come out. For years, it's just been topical steroids with some other additions to the field. But for kids, this is really the preferred route to go from the parent perspective. But the problem is that many parents have concerns about topical steroids. So this new non-steroid topical is something people are really talking about. And we saw in clinical trials for this new treatment called ruxolitinib, really nice results and very few side effects. But yet this new treatment is approved with a warning. So I wondered if one or both of you could tell us more about this cream and what we need to know about it and how it's different than topical steroids and what, if any, side effects we should be watching out for. We are very excited about a new topical cream. This is an agent that seems to be very effective and very safe in the trials that used up to 20% body surface area involvement in terms of putting it on. I think it reflects the safety that we feel with topical agents, as opposed to something getting into the bloodstream and being a systemic agent. So here we're able to leverage a medication that's been available 
for years now in an oral form and be able to put it on the surface of the skin where there's minimal to no absorption into the body and therefore to feel very safe about it. We don't even have to think about whether there could be any short-term or long-term safety effects. It's been quite fast in terms of its anti-itch action and also does a good job with suppression, the inflammation of eczema. In addition, it doesn't sting and burn. That's been a major problem with the currently available non-steroidal agents like tacrolimus and pomicrolimus, which have been on the market a long time, have clearly been shown to be safe. And then the new one, crisoboral, approved down to three months of age, but the major deterrent has been that it often does sting and burn for patients. So it's a welcome addition right now, only available with FDA approval to as young as 12 years of age, but the trials have been ongoing to move that to younger ages. And why did this medication come with a box warning? I think during the the COVID-19 pandemic, we've all gotten sick of the term abundance of caution, but that's really what these uh, box warnings are about. It's worrying about a signal that might be there. It's not based on any hard evidence that we should be worried about this cream, but because the pill form does have side effects associated with it, they put the warning on for the cream as well until there's evidence that shows that we don't need to worry about that. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the new injectables. So we've had Dupixent on the market now for a few years, which has been a game changer for eczema, but now we've got some additional options. And so we have trilokinumab, which was just approved by the FDA for adults. And on its heels, we have lebrakizumab, which is in kind of the final stages of study in a population that includes adolescents and teens. So we'll see if that one comes through for the adolescents and up when it's reviewed. And both of these new injectable drugs target one immune system signaling pathway, whereas Dupixent blocks two. So in a way, these two new ones, trilokinumab and lebrakizumab, are even more specific and targeted than Dupixent. So I wondered if you could tell us a little more about how these two compare to Depixent, what's similar and what's different, and how they compare maybe to each other. Thanks. You know, these two pathways that you're uh, referring to, the interleukin-4 and interleukin-13, these are two molecules uh, that are important for the type of inflammation that happens in eczema. Both these new drugs, lebrakizumab and the newly approved one, tralokinumab, they target specifically interleukin-13. But interleukin-13 signaling is very closely tied to interleukin-4 signaling. It's almost like one pathway. And so dupilumab targets interleukin-4, which then also affects interleukin-13 signaling. And so even though these drugs have somewhat different targets, in the end, we're targeting the same arm of the uh, immune system. And so fortunately, we're seeing uh, good results. I think it's been very interesting because when we saw all the wonderful data coming out with dupilumab, we knew that the interleukin-4 receptor that it handles the interleukin-13 and the interleukin-4 um, was making a difference when it was inhibited. But now we know that really the central molecule is this interleukin-13. And we also have the potential that when you're having even more specific targeting, it's even going to be more effective, but may even safer. 
Dupilumab is a medication that's, there's not a whole lot of, of extra room for greater safety because it seems about as safe as anything could be. But nevertheless, it's just reassuring to know that we may even have agents that at least have the same profile or may even be more targeted to add to the armamentarium. I think one thing that's important to recognize is that it's not going to be all the same immune system and inflammation pathways firing in the same way for every single patient. When one of these medications doesn't work as well as we had hoped for a given patient, it's possible that just slightly changing the target to a different medication might give us something that can help. And one thing that should be pointed out is that these two new medicines, trelokinumab and lebrachizumab, have different mechanisms between the two of them as well. They both target interleukin-13, but in a somewhat different way which again, lends itself towards the possibility of a person responding to one and not another. We have a lot more to understand what features in a given person will make them respond better to one versus another and understand the diversity of eczema that much better. Yes, a huge priority. And I think some place we, we need to get to so we're not using a trial and error approach on these kids. I just want to add the safety is of paramount concern to families. We do have very good safety with the injectables, and really the only potential risks that we've seen have been the injection site reactions, that is some redness or discomfort very transiently at the site of injection in a minority, and in a relatively small minority, particularly with children, the redness of the eye that can develop and and really demands being seen by, by an eye doctor, but otherwise really safe. This is important for parents to understand. The big problem remains the shot, (laughs) especially as we start going down in in age. So I think attention is now being paid to how to make that as comfortable as possible for families. I I agree. It might seem like you're doing something that's a even bigger deal than a pill if you're doing it as a shot. But these medications have proven uh, through trials so far and with dupilumab, not a lot of safety concerns. I think that is true. I think there is a certain trepidation that comes with a shot. It feels scary and it feels like it's a really serious drug that you're using when it can come in the, the injectable form because we're used to pills and also there's less trauma around those. But I do think it really is about parents and patients looking at what these different trade-offs are. So I think in summary on these new injectables, currently we have Dupixent, which targets IL-13 and IL-4. The new ones are just targeting IL-13 pathway in slightly different ways, but both really focusing in that area. And we'll see how those um, shape up. So let's talk a little bit about the new pills. We talked about the topicals, we talked about the injectables, and we're sort of moving down the line here with some pills that have just uh, been recently approved. And these are abrocitinib and upadacitinib. Help us understand what's the difference between these two, and also how are they different than the injectables? I want to ask a little bit more about that, but first for shorthand to help us parents understand, because these names are super confusing. If you hear a medication name with MAB at the end, it usually means it's a biologic injectable. And if it has NIB at the end, that usually means it's a pill. So these medications are 
uh, part of a group of medications called Janus kinase inhibitors. And you'll probably hear more of the term JAK inhibitor, uh, which is a short form for that. These are medications that suppress the immune system. Those JAKs have activity across a wide range of different parts of the immune system, which is why this class of medications is also used for arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease. So even though they're targeted, they're not as targeted as the more specific biologic injectable medications that we spoke about earlier. And how do they compare in efficacy? Are we seeing the same impressive improvement in symptoms with these? They look to be very effective. Uh, In fact, there have actually been head-to-head trials with dupilumab that has suggested that at the higher dosing, they are even more effective uh, than than dupilumab. So we expect them to be quite effective. The concern is really going to be about their safety profile because of this broader immunosuppressive effect. And I should note that upadacentinib is approved for ages 12 and up. So we actually have one that can be used in the pediatric population for the first time ever. Right now, I believe these can only be used when you exhaust your other options in in the U.S. anyway. Is that correct, Dr. Paller? Yeah, the idea is that one would try other options and then moving on to this, but it is not set out there for now as a first-line agent. And these two new ones, abrocentinib and upadacentinib, what is the difference between them? Any notable differences between these two? Well, it's really interesting because they are both JAK1 selective agents, which means that they do hit some of the other JAKs. There are three JAKs, uh, but they are JAK1 selective, and that's the target for downstream of these various pathways that we were talking about before with the interleukin-4 and the interleukin-13. However, what's interesting is that when we look at their safety profile, there are some differences. For example, the major side effect that we see with apatacitinib is a hair follicle irritation that in some patients can look a bit like acne. Uh, The major one that we see with abrocitinib is nausea. That's not to say that the other can't cause some of that, but very different in terms of ratios of the two. And and why is that? We don't really understand yet, but clearly a little bit different in the way they work. Are there other jacks on the way? I think there are some in this category waiting in the wings as well. Is that right? So baricitinib is another JAK inhibitor that's been studied for atopic dermatitis and is approved in some jurisdictions, for example, in Europe. It's also been used in other diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. It targets two uh, of the JAK pathways, JAK1 and JAK2. So it's a little bit less selective than abrocitinib and upadacitinib. But interestingly, in the clinical trials for atopic dermatitis actually had fewer safety signals than the other two. It's really hard to tell sometimes from a clinical trial exactly how safe a medication is going to be because it's used for shorter periods of time and in relatively small numbers of people. Have any of these jacks really been used widespread in kids? Like for rheumatoid arthritis? Tofacitinib is the jack inhibitor that's been around the longest to treat different kinds of uh inflammatory conditions like arthritis. And so we have the most data for it. And it's different than the JAK inhibitors that we are going to be using in eczema. And people with eczema are different and on average healthier than people with 
arthritis and other conditions that tofacitinib might be used for. So we uh, can't ignore the fact that tofacitinib has been shown to increase cardiovascular risk, cancer risk, other serious side effects in people with rheumatoid arthritis. It doesn't mean that we can assume that the same thing is going to happen to our patients with eczema using these other JAK inhibitors. But I think we need to be aware uh, of what's been found with tofacitinib, monitor it closely in research studies, and also, uh, you know, have a frank discussion with every patient that uh, we're starting on a JAK inhibitor, that this is what we know so far, and this is what we don't know. And, you know, we're making a treatment decision based on all that information. I want to raise the issues of, of access and cost. These new agents are quite costly, and there's going to have to be some decision-making about who you petition to get this medicine for. So cost and access continue to be issues that may be limiting for this group. I think we're going to see continued use of medications like methotrexate, both from the access standpoint and from the safety standpoint, until there is evidence that these are as safe as we hope they will be. Okay. Dr. Doctor, you have, with a team of international researchers and patients, been working on a comparison tool that allows us to look at some different options and consider them on efficacy and safety and different things. Can you tell us a little bit about the impetus for that comparison tool and what we can find on it right now? Sure. The impetus is that we have all these new medications. And so it can be really confusing for parents, for adult patients, and for clinicians to figure out how do these medications stack up? Uh, They all work compared to placebo in their trials. And some of them have head-to-head studies against dupilumab, but it can be hard to tell just from looking at individual trials exactly how these medications stack up. So what we do is we use a statistical technique Uh, called a network meta-analysis. And we're able to throw all these trials into a model and develop a robust comparison, at least in terms of the medication's effectiveness across a number of different parameters, like how much they improve inflammation in the skin and quality of life for patients. So we can get a sense of not just how much better than placebo in an individual trial, but how much all these medications compare with each other, because you're not going to get a trial that compares each and every one of them. Great. And so right now on your website, if I'm a patient, can I go and compare some of these new treatments? And if not, what is the timeline for being able to compare these new medications roughly? If you go online now to the patient section of the website, you'll be able to see comparisons between dupilumab and some of the older medications like methotrexate and cyclosporin. If you check back in later in March, all the information will be there. That's super exciting. And thank you for doing that work. I think it's really, really valuable and really, really hard work. So great service to patients and parents. So I think we're at the end of our time. And I want to ask both of you, what is the take-home message here for parents and younger patients? The first take-home message is we are in a new era in the availability of both topical and systemic medications, whether they be oral or injectable for for treating eczema, and there's a lot more to come. So it's a great time to be able to go to the doctor and get something that causes relief. 
I think it's very important to work with someone that you trust and really get a sense of the safety of these various new medications in making informed joint decision-making. Yeah, it's really exciting. We didn't have a lot of options until very recently. A lot of the different options had side effects that sounded really terrible. So I think we now have options that look to be very effective and safe as well. And more choice is always good, especially if if the choices work really well. Thank you. And I'll say from the parent perspective, you know, when my son's eczema was at its worst, when he was severe, severe as a toddler, we didn't have any options. And it was so frustrating to us as parents, but also to his physicians to not be able to really provide any solutions beyond the few that were available. So I think it's a game changer for young kids that are being diagnosed right now. And such a relief to know that they're going to have things that really work. In summary, today we talked about a new cream that's just come on the market, Rux cream. It's not a steroid. It does come with a warning, but that seems to be related to the pill form of the active ingredient, not to the cream form. We talked about two new injectables, one that was recently approved for adults, and a second one that's being studied in kids 12 and up that may soon be on the market as well. These are the MABs, the injectables. You see MAB at the end, that's what that means. They appear to be really quite safe, but they must be injected. And then finally, there's new pills coming on the market, the NIBs. These are the JAK inhibitors. They work quickly. They seem to offer relief in symptoms, but they are less targeted. And so usually you'll need to exhaust the other options before you look at a JAK because of those additional safety concerns. And most of these, besides dupixent, have yet to be studied long-term. And so we need to start watching these to see how they perform long-term, especially in younger populations. So we'll be watching that closely and doing a refresh on the podcast as we get more information on that. Keep an eye out for eczematherapies.com, especially this spring when that new information comes out. So I want to thank you both for joining the podcast. This is a great discussion and Who knows, things are moving so quickly, we may just have to bring you back in six months to talk about the next slate that's coming through. But in the meantime, thank you again for your work and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. And if you enjoy our podcast, consider supporting it with a tax-deductible donation through our website. We depend on listeners like you to keep producing high-quality, science-based episodes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.